Um, it really is a great privilege to be here with you. I, um, despite getting up early, I love doing this. I love getting to come here and to be with you and to see how God's at work, and it's, it really is a privilege. Um, I, part of the privilege, besides the personal of getting to see all of you and see, seeing how God is at work, um, is that I get, to, I get to open up God's Word with you. And today, uh, we turn to one of those uh, aspects, one of those attributes of God. Um, can you have favorites? Is that allowed? Because um, this is one of my favorites. So um, I may get a little excitable. We'll see. Um, but we're going to be in Psalm 147 and verses 1 through 6. Psalm 147 and verses 1 through 6. This is in the bulletin. And so let me read this for us. Let's hear God's word. If you're, uh, this isn't, the heading uh, isn't in the bulletin, but the heading in the ESV at the top of this, not inspired, but helpful, is he heals the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted. And that's not insignificant. So let's hear God's word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Oh no, come on, we've done this before, let's try it again. I say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you that you, you tell us what you're like, and you encourage us to respond appropriately. Uh, give us hearts that are open um, to being overwhelmed by how amazing you are and hearts that are open to be willing to be more humble than we have been. Because when we see you as big, we're meant to see ourselves as small. And I can certainly resist that. So help us all not to. And instead, of entrusting ourselves to ourselves, to entrust ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, all of us have areas of our thinking where we're proud, where we think that we understand that we have things together and we don't need God. It's kind of like, you know, not here. I don't, I don't need you here. I, I got this. We got this. What are those areas for you, where you're practical, you're functional, and how do you know the functional? It's what you don't pray about. See, what you pray about, you reveal that you think you have need, but you don't pray about, you're kind of like, got this, it's all right, it's cool. What are those areas for you? We're going to talk, we're going to think a little bit about uh, omniscience. God's all-knowingness. 
But His knowing of everything is only useful to us if we're humble. It only helps us if we're humble. You see, what God does with His knowledge is beautiful. We're told here that He, he lifts the humble. But the question then is, if that's who He lifts, are you one of the humble? In the Scriptures, the humble are characterized by two things. Um, maybe three. Uh, one, they see their smallness, their frailty, their sinfulness. And as a result, they repent and they believe. That's what the humble do in the Scriptures. They repent and believe. They, they own the Gospel anew daily for themselves. That's why we do it in services, by the way. To show you how to do it daily. We do it on the Lord's Day. So the question for you is, am I one of the humble? Am I one who's repenting and believing the gospel anew daily, submitting myself to God, humbling myself, seeking his help? And if you are, God will lift you up, for this is what he does with his knowledge of all things. He lifts up the humble. Now we'll get there after we understand why the psalmist here believed our response to God's character and the actions that flow from his character. We'll get there after we realize why the psalmist thought that God was worthy of praise. And so let's start, if you're a note taker, the first point is to agree with God's praiseworthiness. Agree with God's praiseworthiness. Look at me at verses 1 through 4. We start in verse 1. Lots of psalms start this way. Um, Begins and ends with praise the Lord, but it's a command. Praise the Lord. Don't you have to feel it to do it? That's the way our culture thinks about things, is that we only do the things that we feel. Now, there's plenty of reason why that we should praise the Lord, right? So it's, it's good to sing praises to our God. The verse goes on why it's appropriate. It's good for us. Part of what we were made for was to sing praise to God. Um, it's pleasant, not the humming that I would do, but it's pleasant to sing praise to God. Um, it's part of what he made us for. A song of praise is fitting. Why is it fitting? So you go on to verse 2. Uh, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. The scene that we seem to be in here, the best that we can try and understand it, is that maybe this was um, the psalm was written on the it, during the rebuilding of Jerusalem by the returned exiles. Right, they've been cast out of the land because of their sin. They came back in. They're rebuilding Jerusalem, and the psalm was maybe written in that era. Wise praise fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, not just the structure, but also the people. He looks out for the needs of the people. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Um, this is a neat picture. Um, gathers it. Um, if you uh, are familiar at all with um, anybody have chickens? Man, you guys don't live in Idaho. Um, <laughs> everybody's got chickens. Um, so, if you watch a mother hen with a brood of chicks, their typical way of sort of um, protecting 
right, is there's kind of like the chirp and they'll bring them in and they kind of get them under their wings and they sort of all move together like this, like an octopus. This is the picture you're meant to see, that God gathers and protects. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He sees, he knows, he cares, he acts. He moves towards them. And there's something here for us, that following Christ, that we should should move towards. Our culture's got outcasts too. Lots of them. This is consistently, this is what Jesus does. Just look at him go through the Gospels. He goes to the outcasts, the people that are out on the margins. The people that nobody wants to touch. He continues this. He goes to the outcasts. Going on in verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. Those with sadness. Those repenting, right? That's part of the humble. Right? How does he heal the brokenhearted? He does it directly by his spirit. Right? Uh, It's wonderful that in the New Testament we find out that one of the names of Holy Spirit is comforter. Uh, We're told that God's the God of all comfort. And that as you've been comforted, you should give that comfort to others. So he does it directly by his spirit, but he does it through people. He does it through us gathering around each other as we are brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He heals. Um, I, my background's in science, and there's no reason that um, I had a cut in my finger last week. Terrible. Not fun at all. And there's no reason. It's basically healed now. But do you know there's no reason that cuts actually heal? There's nothing that forces them to heal. There's nothing that's over them, that self-creates them to heal for your flesh to come back together again. That's all God working through means, but God working. He does it not just with fingers, but with hearts. He binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted. Now, when he gets to verse 4, you could think that this, there's a couple of what, what feel like um, skip jumps. Like, you know, that, that you're kind of like, look, I got ahead in the movie. Right? Wait, 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 how do we get from here to here? But stay with it. Verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. Um, we're still trying to figure out this number, by the way. One of the things that's best about the James Webb telescope that's in the sky now, and they're getting pictures of it, whatever, old scientist here, sorry, you have to put up with me, um, is it's blowing away everybody's misconceptions about what they thought they knew. It's humbling humans, which is a really great thing. But as we're seeing all these beautiful pictures and we're still trying to figure out, we're like, oh, that wasn't a star. That was a cluster of galaxies. I guess there's more to this than we thought there was. And God's like, mm-hmm, yep, already knew that. Thanks for letting me know. He determines the number of the stars. How could that be? Well, remember that the God the, scripture, the, the God the Scripture speak of created from nothing everything. From nothing, God created everything. 
Each star is a handmade original. Which is why, as you go on in the verse, he gives to all of them their names. Um, I have four children. Jacob, who I'll see tonight. Um, he still lives in, in uh, Seattle. Jesse, Joseph, and little Miss Joy. Um, we had enough arguments just trying to name four children, trying to stay within biblical mandates. And the, the fourth Joy was really not supposed to be Joy. She was supposed to be Abigail, but her big brothers, um, there's a five and a half year gap between the youngest boy and her. Uh, her big brothers were old enough to be in the sonogram room and we had been waiting for a girl, waiting to be able to name a girl Abigail. And in this case, it was going to be Abigail Joy. And, um, and we're in the sonogram room, and, and the sonogram tech goes, it's a girl! And we're like, and her name shall be called Abigail! And the boys all looked at us, and they were like, what? Now that's not right. She's got to have a J name. And so she became Joy Abigail instead of Abigail Joy, because the boys revolted. We have enough dynamics within our families just to name four kids. And yet, for a number of stars that we still can't count and probably never will be able to, God made each one by hand and He gave them each a name. Because he's that creative. In fact, he's unlimited creativity is what God has. So, the psalmist is calling us to praise the Lord, saying that he's praiseworthy, that it fits to praise him. And this is why. That creation overall big picture, but people individually... God cares for. It's fitting to praise God because he's praiseworthy, which is why, then second, we should worship the powerful, all-knowing God. Look with me at verse 5. Of course, you'd go on from that little brief meditation on the stars um, to great is our Lord, right? Of course. And abundant in power. That's how we can make everything from nothing. His understanding, besides being strong in power, which we sang about already, besides being strong in power, his understanding is beyond measure. His understanding that's true and full is beyond measure. He's great. He's abundant in power. His knowledge is beyond measure. Measuring. There are the, the, when you get to other attributes, you, you'll um, you read things in scriptures. In the scriptures, as the authors try and communicate, you know, sort of like God's infinite in this way, right? Is that it's unfathomable? Uh, that's the word that sometimes the writers will use, which is a way of sort of measuring depth, uh, old way of measuring depth before you had, you know, radar and all those kinds of things or whatever. Is you'd hold down a rope that had fathoms apart and you'd lower it down, and oh, it's forty-five fathoms, right? It's unfathom- it's, you can't reach the bottom. His understanding is true and full understanding is beyond measure. Um, the human mind, they estimate, can hold about 300 exabytes of information. 
Uh, they estimate right now that the, the internet holds about 40 zettabytes of information uh, and growing by X amount a day. Um, that's a lot. It's a lot just inside of the brain. And you still get it. Some of you are old enough for the far remember the far side cartoons and the brainy kid lifting his hand up and the, this, the board's all scribbles and everything, formulas and everything. And he's like, sir, my brain's full. And so we, our, our brains get full. Hard drives get full. We still can measure them even though they're very large numbers. But God's understanding is beyond measure. You couldn't measure it. You don't have a stick that big. You don't have a give it a prefix bites that many. Um, it's not measurable. His understanding is beyond measure. Which is why you're encouraged to entrust yourself to the God who knows all. Again, this is the third point. So again, when you get to verse 6, it kind of feels like you, you did a skip jump, Right? It could seem disjunctive, but it's not. The Lord lifts up the humble. Uh, and the humble here, I think, are those who, who see and receive uh, their limits. And they look to God in faith. Right? They look to God in faith. And they're contrasted. The humble are contrasted not with the proud necessarily, but with the wicked. And in this case, I think that... that what you're meant to see um, is that what characterizes most the person who is not trusting in the Lord um, is that they won't humble themselves. They remain proud, and that's why they're labeled wicked, right? The unrepenting proud who know more and better than God. That's the contrast here. So what does God know about you? What does God know about you? Well, in Psalm 139, you find out that he knows all about you. Everything. Which has the potential to be scary or heartening. It depends on how you take it. And, and who you're trusting. God knows all about you and cares. What God does with his knowledge of you is that he he notes your humility as you're trusting in him and placing yourself into his powerful hands. And what he does is he, he lifts up the humble. He lifts you up. So this humility should be the first of the practical consequences of us knowing that God is omniscient. Um, maybe you've had this experience. I've had this experience quite a number of times. Have you ever had the experience that you thought you knew a subject well and then you met a true expert, and you felt very small. This is how we should feel before God and his omniscience. It should cause us to feel small. But some of us resist this. And, and if, we, if we don't resist it, if we receive it, if we allow ourselves to be humbled, to be small, it will cause us to think and to speak 
more humbly. It, it can have the effect, it ought to have the effect of diminishing trust in self to be replaced by entrusting oneself to God. Uh, Jen Wilkin, who I really appreciate on the attributes, she's got one on the communicable attributes, the ones that, that God, that we, like love, where, where God has it and we have it, and then the, the ones that are incommunicable, that, that God doesn't give, he doesn't communicate, doesn't give to us. We don't have omniscience. We have knowledge, but we don't have omniscience, right? So Jen Wilkin says this, and I have a couple quotes in this last point from her because they're just very helpful. Uh, here's what Jen Wilkins says. Our comfort lies not in holding all knowledge, but in trusting the one who does. With what should we trust God? So I'm trying to encourage, yourself, trying to encourage you to entrust yourself to the God who knows all. With what should we trust God? The first thing that we should trust God with is our sinfulness and our sins. That's the first thing we should trust God with. 1 John 3.20 For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So that uh, recurring dream that you have that there's some 24, that out there somewhere on the internet is some 24-hour-a-day video of your life with the soundtrack with has got your internal voice on it that you want no one to see or hear. That you don't... <laughs> You don't have that scary dream? <laughs> Come on, I can't be alone in this scary dream. Well, that video actually exists. And God's already seen it. Now, if you're not trusting in Christ, that's pretty scary. Because God indeed has seen uh, all that you've thought and done. And that, that could be scary. Which is why the gospel comes to you from God as a kind, pleading call to turn from that which could never satisfy you. That's all the self-effort that's on the tape. All the trying to live and make life on my own. And God's sort of saying, so you've tried all that. How's that been for you? And saying, wouldn't it be better if you turned from that? That's what repentance is. Is God's pleading call to say, none of that's worked well for you before. Would you consider something different? And that's repentance when I turn from that. And I turn in faith to Christ and I go, I need you. I need a king over me because I'm a lousy king over me. And when we do that, it doesn't matter that that tape exists because what happens is that instead of the lousy life that I've lived that's on the tape, what's, what's mine is the perfect life that Christ has lived and the death that he has died for me. The gospel is secured by a father who gives up his son, knowing the pain that great grace would cost him. Now, if you're one who's trusting in Christ, uh, this is actually very comforting that you can entrust your sinfulness and your sins to God. Um, sometimes when I'll talk to people about omniscience, they're kind of like, well, why would I ever pray then? Well, 
you don't tell God anything new by your requests to pray when you pray. But it's still good for you to offer them. It's an invitation to participate in relationship. God enjoys hearing your heart. Actually, he delights in it. But just like you don't tell God any new news when you pray, you also don't tell him anything new by confessing your sins. You see, God saw from his exalted vantage point all of them. In fact, that's why he set his love on you, because there would have been no hope for you or me otherwise. This is the privilege that we have to tell people about. We are simply thankful beggars of mercy and grace, telling other beggars where to find the bread of life. When you are doing this with God, it it helps you as well to fulfill James 5.16, which talks about confessing your sins to one another, which we're all like, I could never do that. I don't want anybody to know. Except that James says that the design of that is that you might be healed. Remember, part of the way that God heals the brokenhearted is through people. There's something there that we've not understood well, that we might do well to understand better. So with God, when you confess your sins, you aren't informing him, but you have the privilege of hearing anew God say something like this. I know. I know it's bad, that heart of yours. It's why I gave my son for you. It is my delight to count his perfect life as yours and his death for what by all rights you deserve. I love you and give grace to you. That's the privilege you have to come in confession. This is what God means to say to you as you come to his table in a few moments. But there's more to trust God with. Your own sins. Others' sins. Others' sins. God cares enough to know that that which was previously secret to perhaps all but the perpetrator. God knows. Romans 2.16. God knows and will do justice. Why is it important that we are confident that that which seems secret, God knows and will do justice? He will deal with it justly. It keeps us from meddling. This is a Jen Wilkin point, but not a quote. It keeps us from meddling because we can trust that God also has noted what we have noted, but more purely, generally speaking. Are my instinct to meddle is generally very impure. God can note without sin. He can see fault and mistake. This gives us confidence that we don't have to fix all things now. God will do justly, very justly, after having missed nothing. Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees it too, which frees me from having to meddle. 
What else to entrust God with? Your worries. Your worries. Jen Wilkinsinger. Rather than casting all your anxieties on the internet which cares for no man, cast them on God, for He cares for you. 1 Peter 5.7 Worry is one of my perennial sins. Neither you nor I have added to our height or our length. I have probably added to my girth by my worry Though we can't add to our height or length of days, in fact, decent chance, science tells me I've probably shortened mine. By proudly thinking we could know or predict the future when that's not information that's open to creatures. Again, Jen Wilkins, so helpful, pointing me towards Psalm 131, which I'll read here for you. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We cast our worries on the Lord, not to Google, not in my predictions or your predictions or anxieties or what may come, I have found that that actually typically distracts me from profitably engaging what's actually in front of me today. But instead, what we do is we entrust ourselves to the Lord who knows and loves His people. And He does that despite what He knows about His people because He loves them for the sake of His Son. These are the things, friends, that we have the privilege to entrust to the Lord. And so let's come to His table, delighting in our Father, entrusting ourselves to His loving, merciful care as we humble ourselves. Let's pray. Father, You are indeed great. We can't get to the bottom of Your true and full understanding. Help us to respond to that uh, well. Help me to. That our response would be to number ourselves among the humble. That we might be lifted up. Uh, We can tend to resist this. um, So help us not to, Holy Spirit. And help us now as we come to the table to receive anew the mercy that you give. In Jesus' name, amen.